Hey guys, how y'all doing? Fantastic. Um, my name is Chris. I'm our teaching pastor today and so glad that you're here today in week three of our four-part series entitled The Walking Dead. By the way, how many of y'all actually watched The Walking Dead season five last Sunday? Let me hear, let me hear you. All right, cool, because I can't see you up here. So, so uh, you, man, I enjoyed it, man. Very, very good. This is interesting. Uh, it set a record. 17.3 million people watched it, and it set a record for both the show and the cable television program. That's interesting. And as I was watching it and just seeing, uh, I won't go into some of the details because it's just kind of gory, but you can just see the desperation when they had those ha- their hands tied behind their backs and they're thinking it's it. I mean, it was just desperate. And I was just thinking, dude, it's just, I, I just started getting into the series because we're doing this series. I'm like, I'm going to start watching it. It was just daggum good. So uh, again, if you never watched it, make sure to t- tune in tonight. So uh, anyway, I won't be there because I will be at community group. <laughs> so unless I call in sick. Anyway, anyway, but anyway. All right. Uh, well, today I want to talk about one word and it is the word desperation desperation. Because so many of us, we've come to a point in your life, some of you may have walked in here, this is your first time ever in church, ever, and the reason why you're here is because you're desperate. You're desperate and you feel like your life is out of control, and you feel like that the, the it's just everything's unraveling from both ends, that there's nothing you can change about your situation, and you just feel totally desperate. We've all found ourselves there. I've found myself there. Desperate to sell a house. Desperate to get married. Desperate to get a job. Desperate to keep a job. Desperate to get pregnant. Desperate to, for healing. Desperate to get out of debt. Desperate to see a dream turn into a reality only to see it all go up into smoke. We find ourselves in those falling into those moments of desperation. It's a really a dangerous place to be. And the reason why is because those moments of desperation can erode our hope and erode our faith. It can erode our physical and spiritual health. Because here's what happens. When we're at that moment of desperation, we become so focused on ourselves and our situation, and we lose focus and our perspective. We become depressed. We feel anxious. We get into fits of self-pity, depression, bitterness, anger, and that path of desperation leads us to some very unhealthy places. And the next thing you know, you feel distant from God. You even start to feel suspicious of God because you start thinking this way. If God was real and I prayed to him and he did answer, he's either not good or he's not real. And when we live in that state of depression, it leads us to further separation from God. But what if? What if today we looked at those moments of desperation in a totally new and different way? What if we had a whole new view of our desperate situation? What if God wanted to meet you in that place of desperation in an intimate in life-changing way. No, not just to fix your problem, not just to bail you out. But what if God wanted to meet you in that place and, and for your relationship with him to go to grow more meaningful and deeper? What if we got caught in that sense of desperation 
And here's the thing, when we get caught in that sense of desperation, here's what happens, is this. We begin to focus on what God can do for us instead of God, what God wants to do in us. And so many times, that's not a good place for us to be. But what if we got to the place we became totally dependent upon God? How we, in church, if you've grown up in church, how we say totally dependent upon God, we use a one word, and it's this, it's faith. But some of you, this may be your first time ever coming to church, and we want to be able to unpack what I mean by faith. Faith means being totally dependent upon God. Here's our big idea today. When we are at a place of total dependence, God can do his greatest work within us. When we get to a place of total dependence, faith in him, God can do his greatest work within us. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Mark chapter 5. Or if you don't have a Bible, we would encourage you to be able to download the Bible app off of your smartphone. It's free. If you don't have a smartphone, if you don't have a Bible... Um, you're welcome to just look at the screens up here because we're going to have the scriptures up here. But as we go into Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21, we're going to be looking at three groups of people, and all of these three groups of people are walking dead. Let me explain what I mean by that. The first one, we're going to be looking at a really important person, very religious, who had it all together. And even though he was very religious, he was dead spiritually. He was walking dead. He has a daughter a 12-year-old little girl who was in the process of dying. And she literally, she physically dies. And then we're going to meet this woman who because of some medical conditions, people considered her unclean. And literally, it's like community-wise, and, and she was desperate because she was dead to her family. She was dead to her friends because of her medical condition. So as we dive in, let's look at Mark chapter 5, starting at verse 21. And let's look at these three different people. Even though they had a lot of things different, the one thing they had in common is all three were desperate. Verse 21, Jesus got into the boat again and went back to the other side of the lake where large crowds gathered around him on the shore. Then a leader of the local synagogue whose name was Jairus. Can you say that word with me? Jairus. Okay, this is an all-skate morning. Some of you are like, you you know, let's do it again. Ready? Very good. Y'all are amazing. All right? So Jairus is the leader of the local synagogue. He actually showed up. He arrived. Now, before we get to the desperation of this dude by the name of Jairus, very good, and we're going to see why he's desperate. Let's just camp out about this little phrase, leader of the local synagogue. Jairus was the leader of the Jewish church there in Capernaum. In fact, here's an actual picture of the church there in Capernaum, this synagogue. I've actually been there, took this picture, all right? What's so cool about this, this is on the Sea of Galilee, and you're able to see this, uh, this beautiful white structure made out of limestone, and what's interesting is the base of this a synagogue is basalt, which is this black rock. Here's another picture. Um, and uh, that is the actual synagogue that Jairus preached in. And here's what's so interesting. I was over in Israel for like 30 days. And what's so cool, I'm hoping to do this with you guys one time. I'd love to take a group of us and let's go over to Israel. Because here's what's so cool about this. It puts your faith in technicolor. 
right? You can read about all this stuff and you're like, you kind of think what it looks like and all this stuff. But when you actually go and see it, you realize, dude, what we believe in isn't just words on a page. It actually happened. It actually happened. So Jairus is the leader of this, uh, this synagogue there in Capernaum. And let me tell you about, a little bit about Jairus because he was kind of a big deal. Uh, he was the leader. He was wealthy. He was highly respected by the people in that community. Jairus was the highest-ranking religious official in the entire community there in Capernaum. Jairus was a part of the people and religious system that opposed Jesus. Remember that. Remember that. Because the religious leaders of that day hated Jesus. They heard Jesus' teachings. They saw Jesus' miracles. But they considered Jesus to be an outsider. They wanted him dead. And eventually they got their wish because they killed him. Another interesting thing about Jairus, let me tell you what the word Jairus names means. It means to enlighten. So Jairus, his name means to enlighten. You see, Jairus already had God figured out. He thought he knew all there was to know about God and and all about the deeper teachings of the Bible, right? He had God figured out. He was enlightened. If you ask Jairus, hey, would there ever come a time where this traveling preacher named Jesus, if he ever showed up in your town, could there ever be a scenario that you would go to him and that you would be dependent upon him? Jairus would scoff and laugh in your face and say, absolutely not. That Jesus is a charlatan, he's an outsider, and I'm never going to have anything to do with him. Because in his mind, he had God figured out. Jesus was an outsider. He had not been to all of the schools, the religious schools. He, he wasn't in the religious in crowd. Jesus wasn't enlightened in Jairus' mind. Remember our big idea? When we're at a place of total dependence upon God, God can do his greatest work within us. Well, let me tell you, if that is true, I want to let you know that there are two attitudes that can come in between us putting our faith, that total dependence in God. Let me tell you the first attitude, and it's the one that Jairus had, this attitude that I already have God figured out. I already have God figured out. Jairus had it all together. His stuff didn't stink, right? I mean, nobody really knew him, and they knew him from a distance, and they realized he was a great man, and he was good, and he was kind of perfect. Jairus got his master's and his doctorate some years later from the school of Hillel. He studied systematic theology and got a handle on God through labels and categories. I mean, he knew God. This was a man who knew God's word. He was a good fellow. He always prayed to God. He always showed up. He always tithed. He read the Torah and the Mishnah. He was very well respected. The people saw him as an expert on God. And he looked at Jesus and he's thinking, this guy isn't of God. He's a charlatan. Jairus knows God and he's already, he's got God figured out. Jairus thought he had God figured out, and when we think we have God figured out, that attitude will prevent us from putting our dependence upon God. Let's continue reading to see why Jairus was so desperate. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. He's desperate. Why is he desperate? My little daughter is dying, he said. 
I mean, Jairus had everything, and he was doing everything. He was praying, he was reading, yet of everything that he had learned in church, everything that even he taught in the synagogue ran, rang hollow. Trite phrases, religious empty sayings, they all left him with more questions than answers. He was more disturbed rather than comforted because his little baby girl was sick his girl of 12 years old, and he gets in total desperation. Here's a man who's coming to Jesus in total desperation. His little girl is dying, and he doesn't know what to do. Though he has, had, he has all the answers to everybody else's problems, and though he's able to comfort everybody else through their grief, he isn't feeling very enlightened right now. In fact, he's feeling like he's groping around in the dark until he heard the news. As he's walking home from the hospital, back to his house, he comes across a daily paper lying on a park bench, written in bold letters with the words, Controversial Teacher Heals in Capernaum. Jairus remembers hearing about this controversial teacher named Jesus. One of his friends from the Sanhedrin said, You know what? He hasn't had any schooling. He doesn't know any of the stuff that we know. He even comes from Nazareth. And everybody knows that nothing good can come from Nazareth. In fact, there's even a rumor floating around that he was born from an illegitimate relationship, that his dad really isn't his dad, if you know what I mean. Yet, as he stares at the headline, this crazy idea pops in his head. I wonder if the rumors are true. Can he really heal? Can he really heal? And he starts weighing his options. If he goes to this outsider, this religious outsider named Jesus, then he is going to be ostracized by his own people. The town is going to be in shock. Uh, All of his religious friends are going to just absolutely just throw him out, and he's going to be exposed. And it's going to impact The bottom line, he's no longer going to be respected anymore. But if he doesn't, and if Jesus can heal, then i got to do something. Some of you know exactly how that feels because if you are a parent, you've been to that place where you would do anything for your kids if you could just get them better, right? You would. I remember when we were pastoring a small town in the Midwest. Here's the thing you need to know about preachers' kids. If they're going to get sick, they're going to get sick on Saturday night. Just how it is, all right? It's the curse of Diablo, all right? Because Sunday morning is such a, it's such a big deal and all this stuff, they're going to get sick on Saturday night. I remember waking up one morning, I woke up, my wife was up all night with our child, uh, our oldest one, his name was Walt, and he was having trouble breathing and struggling, and the closest, um, the closest uh, pharmacy was 17 miles away in a town to the south. And I remember she said, you you got to go get this. And, of course, we did mobile church there where we were at there at the time. So I got in my little Isuzu Amigo, and I was driving 100 miles an hour, sending for Jesus, going to a pharmacy so I can get some drugs so that my little boy could be able to get well. And some of you know, again, how that feels like, that desperation when your child is sick and that you would do anything, even trade places with them, if you could just make it all right. So, in an act that would absolutely shock his religious constituents and everybody in the town, this religious leader, Jairus, goes before Jesus and kneels before him and pleads with Jesus because he's hopeless, he doesn't have anywhere to turn, it's beyond his control, he is desperate. And in Jairus' desperation, Jairus becomes totally dependent upon Jesus. 
he swallows his pride, and Jairus, is, he opens himself up to the possibility that maybe, just maybe, he doesn't have God figured out. Maybe, just maybe, this person, Jesus, is more than just a charlatan. Maybe he can heal my baby girl. So many times we think we've got God defined, don't we? In fact, for some of you, you're here today and you're like, okay, Chris, I've grown up in church. I know how the story's going to end. See, you've got, you know how all the stories in the Bible are going to end. And nothing ever surprises you. And you know, you know what? I, I know how this is going to end. And I know, you know, I got this need in my life. And I pray God's already going to say this. And we, we put God in a box. And let me tell you, you can't put God in a box. He is too big. In fact, this is what the book of Isaiah says. It's not going to be on your screens because God just gave it to me. But it says this. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways, declares the Lord. You see, if you've got God figured out, let me tell you who you don't have figured out, and that's God. Let me tell you. There's a churchy word. We like saying this, that God, he knows everything, right? We call that he's sovereign, all right? He's omniscient. He knows everything. And let me put it in redneck terms. All right, if you've got a, a, a pound, all right, you've got a, a, just a, a sack that can fit a pound of something in it, right? And then you take a 100-bag pound of feed, and you try to put that 100-bag pound of feed in that one-pound bag. Is it going to work? No, right? Now, God, he is so big, and we only got, we got one-pound brain, Right? And if we can understand the bigness and the infinite and just how huge God is, then I'm telling you, we don't know who we're speaking of because God is big. You see, we are no longer depending upon God because we, we define him. And when we do that, we miss the opportunity for God to show up and show out and show us that he's bigger than our greatest problem or our greatest fear. Verse 21. Then the leader of the local synagogue, his name is Jairus, arrived. He saw Jesus. He fell at his feet, pleading fervently with him. And he says, my little daughter is dying, he said. Please come. Here's Jairus' plan. Please come and lay your hands upon her so that she can live. And look what it says. Jesus went with him. Notice, Jesus never said that he would heal his daughter. He just went with him. Remember, Jesus never promises us that he will take care of our problem, but he does promise us that he will walk with us through our problems. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. So, Jairus' plan. Jesus, I believe Jesus can heal my daughter, and my plan is if I can get Jesus to my daughter, my daughter will be healed. Problem is verse 25. Because what happens in verse 25 is we realize that God doesn't always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. We have great plans for God, don't we? All of us, we we can scheme and we can plan, and I am like the, the king of this. I can come up with all kinds of plans, and we get this perfect plan in our minds, and we got the plan, and if one thing goes wrong, everything goes to pot. You know what I'm saying? Can I say pot in church? I know it's not Colorado or Washington State, but the whole day is ruined. We get angry with God because he doesn't always do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. Let's keep reading the story. Now, as we keep reading the story, here's what I want you guys to do. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you guys to look and read this story and look at it through the eyes of Jairus. Look at it through the eyes of a a daddy 
who is desperate to get Jesus to his daughter so that she can be healed. Verse 25, look at what happens when Jairus' plans get interrupted. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered from a great deal for many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten what? Worse. Let me give you some background culturally about this woman. The Bible said that she had suffered from some sort of disease in which she bled constantly, probably from a tumor. And in this Jewish culture, that made her unclean. She was unclean, and whatever she touched was unclean. That meant that her family shunned her, that her community looked down upon her. Everyone treated her just a little bit differently. In fact, people would cross to the other side of the street when they saw her coming because she was unclean. Sexually, that means that she wouldn't have been allowed to touch her husband. Maternally, she probably wasn't even allowed to have children or couldn't have children. Domestically, everything that she touched in her house would be and consider unclean. Spiritually, she wasn't even allowed to worship in the synagogue at Capernaum, the synagogue that Jairus was in charge of. Physically, she was exhausted, and socially, she would be like the walking dead. She would be ostracized. She would be an outsider. You want a modern-day classic of her predicament? Think about 1980s and 1990s, how people treated people who had AIDS, especially the church how we shunned them and how just we turned our backs on people who were HIV positive. And you, you started getting just a taste of what this woman lived with for 12 years. She gets to the point she has no hope. She has no money. All the hope she had of doctors getting her better proved futile. And all the money that she gave the doctors is long gone. Anybody know how that feels? Mm-hmm. You see, she gets to this point where she's desperate until meeting Jesus. She gets to the point where she's in a desperate situation and enter Jesus. Verse 27. She had heard about Jesus, just like Jairus did. And so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe because she thought to herself, if I could just touch his robe, I would be healed. What's that next word? Immediately. In fact, the guy who wrote this gospel, Mark, he loves that word because he uses that word over and over. Immediately, the bleeding stopped. And she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. She came up from behind Jesus and touched him in secret because she didn't feel worthy of God's attention. All she wanted was just a little bit of God, so she sneaked up behind Jesus, wanting a little bit of God. She's thinking, if I could probably just, I probably don't deserve it. I don't want to bother him. I don't want to mess up his timetable, but I've got enough faith, and I'm hoping if I could just get a little touch of God. So many people are just like that in their relationship with God. They don't feel worthy. They don't feel worthy of God's attention because of past sins, mistakes, failures, addictions. Let me ask you a question. Do you think God likes you? Now, 
for all those churchy people in here, you would say, no, God loves us for God so loved the... You're right. All right, thank you for your Sunday school answer. However, let me just hit the pause. I know God loves us, but do you think God likes you? I mean, or do you think he's annoyed by you? Do, do you think you get on God's last nerve? I mean, do you kind of see God how you see your interaction with your parents? Really? You're going to come talk to me again? Right? Do you think God's disgusted by you? Let me tell you. What's so interesting about this? What's so interesting about this is that God not only likes us, God loves us. And I I believe, yes, he loves us, but he really likes us. He created you. He wants to enjoy you. He enjoys your company. Remember I said one of the attitudes that keeps us from being totally dependent upon God was having God figured out. But look at this second attitude. The second attitude that keeps us totally dependent upon God is thinking that I am not worthy of his attention. Remember our big idea? When we are at a place of total dependence, God can do his greatest work within us. And those two attitudes, I've got God figured out or I am not worthy of God's attention, both of those will come in between our relationship with God and will start to form a separation. But God wants us to put our faith in him. This whole idea of I want a little bit, just a little touch from God, we kind of come up like a ninja behind him and say, I don't want to bother you. I don't want to take up your time. I don't mean to disturb you. I just want a little bit, and then I'll be on my way. That isn't total dependence. Look at Jesus' response, verse 30. Jesus realized at once that the healing power had gone out from him, so he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? Now, let's just, again, hit the pause button here. I believe the Bible teaches very clearly that Jesus is God. Now, if Jesus is God and God knows everything, Jesus already knew who touched his robe? Are you getting with me? All right? Jesus, I mean, think about this. And what's so interesting, I love the disciples' response. It says this. I'm going to read it back here. So um, his disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask, who touched me? I mean, there are thousands of people around him, all kinds of people touching him. But he says, no, no, no. Someone touched me. And he knew who touched me. So why is he asking the question? But look at this. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. She reached out and touched him, and immediately she's healed. Everything's great, right? She got everything that she wanted. She's happy. She's healed. No attention is drawn on to her. And Jesus stops and talks to her. Look at this. Jesus, remember, Jesus is on a 911 call with Jairus, an important person. She's a nobody. Jesus took the time to spend with this woman. Why? Because Jesus knew that this woman was not only bleeding physically, but she was bleeding emotionally. And it wasn't good enough just to have her body healed. She needed her soul healed as well. So Jesus wanted to stop and let this woman know that she was worth his time, that she wasn't a nobody. Look at his response. I love this. Verse 33. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees by the way, the same posture Jairus was at just a few minutes earlier, and told him what she had done. And he, and by the way, something, what she had done, in that concept, she's unclean and whatever she touched becomes what? Unclean. Here's what's something that's cool though. She touched Jesus, she doesn't make Jesus unclean, Jesus makes her clean. 
I love that. Jesus has the power over all of this. And that's kind of what Dave talked about a couple of weeks ago. So she confesses what she has done. But look at what Jesus says. What's that first word? Daughter. Do you know that in the entire Bible, the only place where Jesus calls somebody a daughter is this unnamed woman right here who was unclean, who was a nobody, who was ostracized. Jesus calls her daughter. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. That daughter is such an intimate term because he says it, you're my daughter, in front of the entire town, in front of thousands of people, thousands of people who had rejected her, people who he's walking right beside Jairus, and Jairus just told her earlier, no, you can't come into synagogue because you are unclean. And Jesus says in front of everybody, no, she is not unclean. She is my daughter to her. And what he's communicating is, you are family. Everyone else here may reject you, but God loved you, I made you, and you are part of my family. You are no longer the walking dead. Now, back to Jairus. What do you think Jairus is doing during this whole interruption? I can tell you what he's doing. Right? He's getting angry. He's getting frustrated. He has a plan. Remember his plan? His plan is, my daughter's sick, Jesus can heal. I'm going to take Jesus to my daughter so that he can heal my daughter. He's angry. I'm sure he's getting frustrated. He's thinking, Jesus, you're wasting your time on this no-name woman. I think Jairus is feeling very frustrated because Jesus stops and ignores Jairus' problem to deal with somebody else. I think he's become probably pretty angry with God at this point. And let me just say here, some of you are here today and that you're in the exact same place because you're angry with God. And here's the reason. You're angry with God because of one or two reasons. Number one, you've asked God to do something and he hasn't gone along with your plan. You're frustrated with him. God didn't do what you asked him to do. The reason why most of us get angry with God is because he's not doing what you asked him to do. You know what I believe? I believe God intentionally put Jairus in this position to say something to him as well as to say something to you this morning. And here's what it is. Jairus, I don't want your plans. I want your hands. Jairus, I don't want you submitting your plans to me. I want you surrendering your hands to me. Because God doesn't want your plans. Do you know that before you ever step foot on the earth, that God had it all figured out way before you ever were an itch? Anybody know what I'm saying? That God was actually, he formed the universe and he didn't need your help. I know it's crazy, right? He didn't need your plans. And what God is saying to you today is stop submitting your plans to me. What I want you to do is start surrendering your hands and saying, whatever you want, I'll do. Because that's what total dependence upon God looks like. I will be dependent upon you. And when you're at a place of total dependence upon God, God will show up and show out and do some of his greatest work in and through you. The first, the reason why we get angry with God is God doesn't do what he wants us to do. We ask God to do it and he doesn't do it. Let me tell you the second reason. Here's the second reason is this. Some of us, we get angry with God because we perceive that he's blessing somebody else more than he's blessing us. Facebook, anyone? Anyone, right? I mean, if we just we can get our drawers in a wad. When, when God gives somebody a better car than we got, we start worrying about world hunger. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, you got a car and then somebody else gets a Mercedes and you, you get your hands on your hips. Can you believe her? Right? Can you believe that? I mean, we got all of these people uh, who are dying of starvation in the world and she's going to go and buy herself a Mercedes? Right? And God's going, well, what about your car? And you, we say, no, don't talk about my car, God. I'm talking about her. Talking about the Mercedes. You see, when we perceive that God is blessing somebody else more than he's blessing us, we get all angry and frustrated with God. You see, Jairus, he had a plan. Get Jesus to his daughter and heal him. But let me tell you, we're going to discover that God's plan for us is so much greater than our plans for us. We're going to be talking about this a lot next week, so I can't get all the cat out of the bag because that's where cats belong is in bags. Um, Verse 35, while he was still speaking, sorry, email me. If y'all have issues, email me at michael at onechurch.tv, all right? While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. Mark puts that title in there again. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. In this moment, Jairus lost all hope. He's probably broke down in a puddle on the floor. Look at this last, they says, there's no use troubling the teacher now. Don't miss that. That's a verbal shot at Jesus. What they're saying is that this guy, he's all talk. Jesus wasn't just a great teacher. He didn't just use great words. Let me tell you who Jesus is. Jesus is the son of the living God. He is the miracle worker. And when they just call him teacher, what they're saying is that I thought you were somebody, but you didn't turn out to be who I thought you were because you didn't do what I asked you to do. And some of you, again, that is, that is where you're at right now. I thought God was good, and I prayed that God would be able to fix my marriage, but he didn't. And because he didn't, and God didn't do what I asked him to do, and evidently God's not that good. And I say that because I've been there. And we play these verbal games with God. If we can just define him, and if we can just manipulate him, and if we can just control him, and God will not be put in a box. He is the lion of Judah, and you put a lion in a box, it's not going to go too well for you. He is out of control. So we're going to see a lot about this next week with Lazarus, so I'm not going to harp on this too much, but Jairus had a plan for Jesus. Come and get Jesus to my daughter and heal my daughter. He believed that Jesus could heal, but what Jesus is getting ready to do is something so much greater than just heal. Verse 36, but Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid, have faith. Jesus is standing next to a man who's just been told, your daughter is dead. And Jesus whispered in Jairus' ear, hey Jairus, it ain't over until I say it's over. You've lost all hope and you think this is the end. Let me tell you, this is not the end. This is not even the mid part of the story. Because when you're totally dependent upon me, I can do some amazing things. Don't believe it. Just trust in me. I believe. You see, I believe that what Jairus thought was best, Jesus healing her, wasn't actually best. Because if Jesus had healed her like Jairus had wanted 
Jesus to heal her, then we would have never, ever known the power that Jesus could raise somebody from the dead. That's next week. Can't get there. Keep on going. Verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anybody go with him except Peter, James, and John. That's the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, again, Mark throws that just little title in there again. Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. What did the crowd do? Laughed at him. But he made them all leave and put them out. I love that. And he took the girl's father and mother and the three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Before Jesus does this incredible miracle, he had to put some people outside the room. He had to kick some people out. Let me tell you, some of you, you're here this morning, and you want God to do something amazing in your marriage, but you're going to have to throw some stuff out in order for God to show up and show out and do a miracle in your marriage. we got to stop praying to God, you bless my porn addiction. God, will you bless me as I flirt with this girl on Facebook or my old flame, that guy who looks great in jeans on Facebook? You see, we got to stop praying that God would bless our sin, and some things we just got to throw out. And some of you here, you will never, ever experience the power and the presence of God unless you throw some stuff out and sometimes throw some people out. I've been in the churches long enough. There's some church people I need out of my life. All right? Some of you, I mean, and they, they, they masquerade it well. They, they oh, I'm going to pray for you. Well, what, what's some of your junk? And then they spread around to everybody else. No. It's gossip. You get mess out of your life, and then when you do that, when you, and we're talk, this, this is next week. I, I want to preach it today, but I can't, all right, because y'all got to go, all right. It's going to be fun, all right? But there's some things you got to put out before God can put up and show out. I love that. What does God need to throw out of your life so he can give you some good stuff in your life? Like this, yesterday. I love this one. I, we got a new dog, all right? I love dogs. My wife is not a big fan of animals, all right? But she has enough. I hear you clearing your throat. Um, so uh, anyway, uh, because she has four guys in her life, and we're enough animals enough. So, but we got this dog named Dakota, and he's a lab, and he's just a hoot, all right? He loves balls, right? He loves balls. So I went and bought a, a thing of, of racket balls, like a 12-thing kind of racket balls, and uh, somebody gave him a tennis ball, and he, he took all the yellow off the tennis ball, and he, he pu- punched a hole in it, and it squeaks now. I've never known a tennis ball can squeak, but it's going, eek, 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 right? So one of the things I love about this dog is he will drop the ball, and he will kick it with his feet. He's a soccer dog. He really is amazing, all right? Um, and uh, he'll kick it with his feet, and then he'll go run across and grab the, the, the ball, Right? Well, yesterday, he's kicking it and running across the house, and he, <laughs> we have candles burning in our house because I'm that kind of guy. And um, we, uh, we, he runs into our, our dining room, and he knocks over a screen door that we have for decoration, and it hits the candle. Hot wax goes everywhere. My wife is screaming. You know, the kids are laughing. It's, it's not going well, right? Oh, dear Jesus. So anyway, we grab the dog, and I take the ball away from him, and we go put him outside. So I I have the ball that he likes, the tennis ball, and then I have the racquetball. And I'll throw the racquetball outside, and he'll go get the racquetball. But then I have the tennis ball that he likes. He's got the racquetball in his mouth, 
But then he has the tennis ball. I have the tennis ball in my hand, and I'll throw it, and he'll try to get them both through his mouth, but his mouth's not big enough, right? He's got a problem. And because he wants two balls in his mouth, and he can only get that one ball in there, right? So here's the thing. We're kind of like that. God wants to give us something good, something that we really want, but we got something else in our mouth, and until we relinquish that and put that out of our life, God can't fill us up. He can't give us that ball that we really do like. He can't. You've got to get some stuff out. Let's keep on reading. It says this. Jesus says, holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. Now, again, I love this. Jesus touched her. Rabbis were not supposed to touch dead people because they were unclean. All this unclean stuff, right? But Jesus makes the unclean clean and makes the dead alive, and she's no longer the walking dead. She is now alive. And the little girl, who was 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around, and they were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Can everybody say overwhelmed? Overwhelmed. Amazed. You see, you didn't get that if Jesus just healed. You get that when Jesus bring somebody back from the dead. And the reason that Jesus didn't do what Jairus originally asked him to do to heal a sick daughter is because he had a greater miracle in mind to raise her from the dead. Last verse. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what happened, which I think is just kind of hilarious, right? Everybody knows that this important guy's daughter is dead. When she goes to school the next day, what do you do with that, right? What do you do with that, all right? And then, look at this, and then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Let me tell you. We serve a Savior who is so calm, cool, and collective that he raises the dead and then has the presence of mind to fix the little girl a sandwich before it's all said and done. (laughs) Let me tell you, God is not worried about your desperate situation. God is not freaked out about what's keeping you up at night. God is... He's got this desperate situation like he had your last desperate situation. So why are you mourning over a situation that God has the ability to resurrect from the dead? You see, some of you here, you're praying, God, fix my marriage. Fix him. Fix her. Fix him. Fix her. And maybe God wants to fix you before something can be fixed in the relationship. And even if your situation doesn't get better, he'll use the very thing that our enemy is meaning to tear us down and use it to build us up to have a greater story to his glory of his name. What are you trying, worrying about a battle when God has already won the war? Some of you have this attitude of, why bother? I don't know, why bother? I mean, come on. Why bother? I don't, I don't understand it. Let me tell you something I've learned about faith a long time ago. You don't have to understand it for it to be faith. You don't have to understand it. You just got to believe. You don't have to understand it. You just got to obey. Jairus didn't understand, but he obeyed, and he followed Jesus. So I want to quote to you as I close this message today from the book of Second Journey. Don't stop believing. (laughs) Don't stop believing, but don't hold on to your feeling. Hold on to faith. Because when you're desperate, and that makes you dependent upon God, and you can believe in him, and he will do some amazing things. Things that you didn't even think was possible. Some of you praying for a healing. And God's, no, I want to raise something from your life from the dead. So that nobody else can take credit for it. 
And only God, only God can take credit. Let's pray. Dear God, I just am grateful for you. I'm thankful for you and everything that you're doing. Lord, I thank you so much, Lord, for the men and women who are here this morning. Lord, we need to hear this. So many of us, we've got parts of our life that's just out of control. And we want to control it. We want to white-knuckle it. But God, when we try to control things, things just turn to dust in our hands. Things become more out of control. So God, I'm praying today for those who are desperate. Desperate for you, God. I pray, Lord, that they would be dependent upon you and would put their faith in a God who can heal, who can save, who can rise people up from the dead. We love you. We're looking expectantly to you, what you're going to do in our life and through our life, sometimes even instead of our life. Let's keep our eyes on you. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.